Hello and welcome back to It's Your Money, the podcast from Mayor Brownsword, where we take apart the world of personal finance and we try and make sense of the bits. I'm Andrew Harrison and I'm joined as ever by Andy Mayer. Hello, Andy. Hi, Andrew. Are you doing well? I'm not bad. I'm, I'm, I'm all right. So we're recording on local elections day. Uh, we don't know the results yet. The polls are still open, but I'm going to ask you, Andy, would you like to give a hostage to fortune? What's going to happen? Nail your colours to the mast. I think we might get a protest vote. I think you might see some very, very strange results. And I think a lot of people will vote with their feet. And if they voted Conservative last time, you might see a swing towards the Labour in the local elections. But that's, I'm not a great better. So I'm probably <laughs> going to get this wrong because I don't gamble very often. That's inexact enough for me. Well, there are, there are reasons for this political tumult that we're experiencing. We're going to talk about them today. They are the cost of living crisis, inflation, the energy cost crisis, and now an interest rate rise, making mortgages more expensive. Basically, are we going back to the 70s? And will we at least get David Bowie disco and punk out of it? <laughs> but Andrew, in the 70s, we had flair on the, flares on the Bay City rollers as well. Well, you know, you can't have everything, can you? Um, so we're going to start with that cost of living crisis. According to the ONS, four out of 10 people are struggling to pay their energy bills. Nielsen Research says households spent 7.8% less on chicken, beef, pork and fish in the past month. And when people start spending less on food, you know, something that's happening. Yeah. Shop prices are up 2.7%, biggest rise in 11 years. And now we've got George Eustace telling people to buy value brands <laughs> to save money, as if people who need to save money don't know that already. And we barely felt the effects of Ukraine yet. So, Andy, I mean, this is like a kind of a multiple uh, crossover Venn diagram of crises. How, how serious is this on an historic scale? I think it is serious. But I think the great comfort, if there is one, is that it's not a UK phenomenon only. If you look at Turkey, I think their cost of living has gone up by 70% in the past 12 months. You look at German energy bills have gone up by over 140%, I was reading. So this isn't just a UK phenomenon. This is a worldwide crisis of inflation. There are, we've been reading a lot of stories about how, you know, people economising with little things like cancelling Netflix, which lost tens of thousands of subscribers. You're concerned, aren't you, that, you know, as we try to economise, we're going to start cancelling more important things that perhaps we shouldn't. Yeah, I think... That's my concern and the the sort of message for this podcast is there's certain things that are absolutely hugely valuable to people, especially when, bizarrely, things are getting harder financially and tighter. I'm, And a lot of people often look at the cost and say, I will oh, I'll get rid of this because it's too expensive. And I think there's certain items that we need to find a way to make sure stay in our life. And what would they be? Because, I mean, I think uh, you're going to tell us now, my suspicion is many of them are going to be invisible benefits that you can't see in your hand when you've paid out for them. Things like life. I totally agree. Mm. I mean, it's like if you you said to me, would I cancel Sky Sports or Spotify? I'd keep Sky Sports because I love sport. But I slightly worry when people are in a worse situation. They go, oh, I'll get rid of the life cover. Oh, the income protection, I'm really well. I don't feel ill. I'm not going to need it. And yet when things become tighter and and unfortunately someone gets a critical illness or someone gets ill and can't go to work, a bad situation can become a crisis. And I think I'm urging everyone before they either chuck it in on cost and try and buy something cheaper online is to really review what they need and make sure they keep the things that are absolutely vital long-term to their family, security, and the well-being. So, I mean, that's 
both you know life cover and income protection these are harder things to concentrate on in the situation that that we're in at the minute i mean what they are t- t- they are tell a lot me. harder because you look at the benefits that only happen if you die or become ill whereas you look at netflix it brings you instant joy after a long day you can watch a great movie or a great series but when times become tougher sometimes people look and take the wrong options Mm. So, I mean, as things get tighter, should we be thinking maybe not so much about economising and making these false economies on these things, but actually investing in them? And maybe if you do cancel your Netflix, putting that money into some income protection, into some life cover. Yeah, I think, yeah, no, I think you're right. I think people have difficult choices coming up. And I just urge people before they make a choice on cost. So if you're paying £40 for life cover with critical illness, and you think, I'll just get rid of the critical illness and drop it down. It might be the critical illness to replace it in two, three years' times when things are financially better. is isn't £40. It's 100 and you never take it on, and then something happens. And I think it is cost of insurance is only value when the claim is paid out. Tell me what you think people ought to be economising on then, because even even those of us who are like lucky enough not to be right at the at the kind of biting edge of the cost of living crisis, we've got to think about these things as well. I tell you what amazes me: I've never seen so many Uber Eats and people getting food delivered when the sort of the lockdown ended in the UK. I really thought those businesses would see a drop in earnings, drop in people working. No, people are still getting. Deliveroo to their houses and Uber Eats in the same amounts that they had during COVID. So I think one of those can be cut down. Okay. And I'm going to take a wild guess and, and imagine you're going to say cancel pet insurance because you're such a cat and dog hater. <laughs> no, I've still got my insurance on my dog because she's getting old and scatty and problems. No, again, I think, I mean, you and I laugh about the pet insurance because, again, it's a fact that most people in the UK spend more on their pets than they do themselves. But I would never, ever tell anyone to cancel the pet insurance. But if there was a choice between insuring yourself or the pet insurance, then that's a different conversation. Can you get life insurance for pets? That's what I want to know. That's my, <laughs> that's my money-making scam for the future. Central to all of this, though, is inflation, obviously. We get daily stories on, on what's happening with inflation. I've just seen this morning's one is that household goods like toys, furniture and clothing are rising faster than at any time in the past 15 years. Today's announcement from uh, from number 10 is Boris Johnson says we can cope with rising inflation. So obviously that means everybody panic. We can't cope. This is coming from a mixture of sources, isn't it? Ukraine, the lockdown in China over resurgent COVID and Brexit, of course. None of these are going away anytime soon. What 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 is the outlook for inflation, do you think? I think when you look across the globe and you see that Sweden, New Zealand, Canada, America have put their base rates up, their cost of borrowing, interest rates are going up. Inflation is here. You look at places like Hungary in the east of Europe, their interest rates have gone up. So this is a global phenomenon that is going to be difficult to tackle, but interest rates are going up across the world. And I think the world, inflation is here at the moment, and it is here until we find a way of switching it off. But it's a bit like the Suez Canal tanker. It's not going to be turned very quickly or easily. We've been told sort of repeatedly over the, since the financial crisis of 2008 that, you know, it's an era of cheap money it needs to be to, to keep the economy 
taking over insofar as it has in, in that period of time. Are we coming to the end of that era of cheap money? And how are we set up as an economy in Britain to deal with you know, borrowing for investment being more expensive? Well, we've seen interest rates. You've seen the announcement today, but we've seen the cost of borrowing for people coming off fixed rates. We're going at 1.2, 1.3 for five years. You're now looking at two and a half, 2.5. And again, and I think by the end of the year, they'll be over 3%. So the, the it's still historically very cheap. But when you were fixing at 1.5, 1.3, and then you're looking at 2.5 or 3%, that's a massive difference on people's disposable income. Savers often see a rise in interest rates and go, oh, great, that's good for me. At the moment, you're very much a get-out-of-cash guy, aren't you? I think we all need our emergency funds, and I'd like people to have six months. But I think, and this sounds very cynical. If inflation does hit the 10% that it is rumoured to be, you're not going to be getting five, six, seven percent off the banks. You might be getting one, one and a half max. So you're still losing in real terms. And I think whilst the markets are incredibly complex at the moment, there is a chance if you invest in certain areas, and this sounds really silly, you will lose less against inflation than you will against cash. And I'm not saying you'll make more because there's no guarantee, but it might be that your reduction in real value of money is less. I think if you're going to invest money is to invest it. Let's say you've got £10,000, Andrew, you invest £1,000 a month for 10 months because with the Ukrainian situation, the markets are volatile. And if something happens that it's not just Ukraine that gets bombed, it's Poland or Finland, that will spook the world markets. Now, at the moment, the supply chain issues across the world are causing major problems with inflation. But you've still got this Ukrainian war in the back that you realise, what will Putin do? And as nobody knows, that's we would say to people, drip your money in over a number of months, depending on your age and your risk. Now, if you've got money you don't need for 30 years, you can put it in day one. But if you might need the money in a shorter period, put it in over a number of months and you reduce the volatility. Do you think we're heading for another recession? I don't think this year, but I think the indications are starting to point towards that. But when you look at the indications, they thought inflation would be 5 6% this year and they're way out. And when you look at what everyone uh, anticipated GDP would be, how much we'd be earning, again, way out. So I think it's very, very difficult and probably wrong to make predictions, but in a recession looks more likely than it did in January. The conditions that determine a recession are, is it contraction over two quarters? Is that right? Yeah. And I think the way you calculate it looks like January, the next, I think the early part of next year. Right. May see it. But this is such a fluid situation that all the analysts who keep predicting from the Chancellor's office, from the Treasury, their data changes on a month-to-month basis. So I think it's dangerous to sort of say to people, it'll definitely be a recession or it definitely won't. I think you just look at the end of the month and what the data then suggests. This may sound like a daft question, but <laughs> is there only ever, you know, are recessions all caused by the same thing? I mean, obviously a recession itself is is a measurement, is its contraction. But is the cause of that contraction, do they, do they come from, they tend to come from a single source or do they tend to come from multiple different sources? I think they're multiple sources. We've done a lot of research over the last few months on this, and they can come from various different reasons, as from wars 
You look at an overvaluation when you have the dot-com bubble. You can see it from terrorist attacks. You can see that you've got high unemployment and inflation. But of the issues we've got at the moment in the world, inflation, and this sounds very cynical when we've got a war and people being killed in Ukraine, inflation is the biggest risk to people's economic freedom and the return on their investments. And a lot of it is being caused by supply chain issues globally. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the prospect was going back to the 70s. Um, is this something I remember from when I was a kid, stagflation, where the economy stagnates, but inflation starts to run through it? I think that's a great question. And I wish I knew the answer. I think we are definitely in a era of inflation. How long that era is, whether it's the next three months, nine months or two, three years, who knows? I think it's going to be a very interesting one for Sunek to keep the economy motivated and buoyant. And that will be very interesting on his response versus the Bank of England's response to base rates. Well, it's going to be interesting if he's still there or not, because all having... <laughs> having mysteriously blotted his copybook where it was mysteriously discovered he was doing, his wife was doing this non-dom stuff, which mysteriously took him out of contention to oppose Boris Johnson. What an astonishing coincidence that was. There may, there's been a lot of talk about a post-election reshuffle and that soon it might be on the outs anyway. I think it will be very interesting. I think whoever's in number 11 has got a very difficult job because he doesn't control what the Bank of England control now. So he's, in a way, looking at what Bank of England do with interest rates and going, how do I react to that? And that's going to be a very, very fascinating job, whether it's Sunet, whether it's whoever in number 11, they've got a massive job to do when you pitch it against rising interest rates that are coming. Well, funny you should mention that. Today is actually the 25th anniversary of Gordon Brown giving the Bank of England its independent power to set interest rates, which was a massive bombshell at the time, wasn't it? It was a day after the election yeah. victory, and New Labour hit the ground running, turned around and said, well, this thing that has been a Chancellor's tool forever, uh, we're giving it up. But how seismic was this, do you remember? Oh, it was absolutely, it was earth-shattering in our industry. But I quite like the fact that the Chancellor doesn't control the interest rates. It doesn't become political, you hope. So in a way... You've got the Bank of England who can now independently see what they want to see and help, and it's not political. But they've then got a chancellor who might not want them to do some of the things they're doing. So it does cause some dialogue and conflict, but it might be that it's politically better for all concerned. One little thing before we wrap up, I, I noticed also this morning in connection with the cost of living crisis, the Mail's reporting that it's delaying first-time buyers from getting into the market, some 70% of people who considered being a first, buying their first house have decided not to, and the overwhelming number of reasons were all to do with the cost of living crisis. The housing market has been a kind of linchpin, but also more importantly, a bellwether of economic health in this country. It's like, if you can't understand the massive complexity of the economy, and God knows I can't, you can at least... You can at least look at the the, the idea that your, the value of your house might be growing. And what happens if the housing market falters, particularly in a situation like this? I was reading something today that said for the first time in a number of years, one in 30 houses is now being undervalued by mortgage lenders because I think they're looking to protect their book. I think we may see a housing correction. I'm not saying a crash, but I think you might see a correction because 
We've lived through a pandemic and house prices hit an all-time high, which obviously impacts first-time buyers. So how do they get on? So if the housing market corrects, that will help them. But if your expected mortgage payment as a first-time buyer was 500 or £800 a month and it's now 1100 that might really deter people from getting on the ladder, which means the market slows. And every person employed in the housing industry building a new home creates two jobs outside of their industry. So that's going to be a fascinating mix of interest rates going up, house building obviously slowing, and economic growth. So you've got this conflict between what do we do? And I think that's going to be an absolutely interesting one to watch. Finally, you yourself, Andy, have a cautionary tale, don't you, on what not to cancel in order to save money. You have you have a personal tale to tell us. Well, most people listening to this know we had, on September the 12th last year, a fire that wiped out 50% of our top floor. Seven months in, we're no further forward. But if I'd have cancelled the insurance on that due to monetary reasons, I would be down a significant amount of money. Now, luckily, the fire brigade were called out. It was seen during the daylight. Two of the other people in this building had no contents insurance. If that had hit their offices, their businesses were wiped out. Now, luckily, we've had an insurance policy. We took advice on it when we took it out. And it made us realize since the fire, we've upgraded our insurance because we were just on the cusp with one office going. If all of the offices had gone, we might have lost some money that we needed on the insurance. So one of the things don't cancel is stuff that you do need. During a recession, if we get one, or during a downturn in markets or disposable income, it's very easy to cancel what you don't think you need. I'm ever so grateful that we had a great policy in place. Eventually, the offices will get done, and we're caught in this supply chain issue. But if we hadn't have had it, it would have caused us an issue. So make sure that you don't cancel things that you don't need right now, but will definitely need and could need in a massive sense if a little small thing goes wrong, like a huge fire in your own office. Yeah, Andrew, if you'd have said to me I'd have gone through a huge fire, what it would have taken, not just financial, but the emotional impact, I wouldn't have got it. But you have insurance for when things go wrong. <laughs> and they sometimes don't. But when they do... If you, I know for a fact we've coped remarkably well here, but I know other people in the building who admitted different companies who work out of this lovely office, our, our office space in different parts of it said if their office had been destroyed, they were out of business. And I look at people's homes and go, if something happens and you've cancelled the policy, you can't just recover. So that's why I'm urging people to keep the hidden benefits you can't see that you don't have now and insurance is valuable when you make a claim because when you make a claim you need to make sure it's paid out yeah that's it so think again about the netflix but don't think about the <laughs> the content insurance and that's the end of this edition of the podcast uh, when are we doing the next one andy well we were due to due to do it on the 2nd of june but that's the queen's jubilee so and she's a subscriber not... she does listen so we can't bother her on a jubilee well i didn't think you'd want to work and i know the queen probably has got other things on that day but it got us to thinking in the office so 70 years is a pretty great achievement. So we looked back on some figures just for financial reasons, really. And we went back to 1957 just to break it up. And since 57, we've had 
the Vietnam War with the Americans and the Falklands War we were involved in. And we've just looked at the American market and the UK market. We've had the dot-com bubble and burst. We've had terrorist attacks in the UK and America. Global financial crisis, the 73, 74 stock market crash. The Black Monday crash. And we've just recently had a global pandemic. But if you'd have invested £100 a year in the FTSE, you would have paid in £7,000. It would have been worth just under 36500 And if you'd have done the same with the Dow, $100 a year since 1957, it would have been worth just over $198,500. So you look at how things are now. They're pretty grim for a lot of people. The market outlook's not great. But if you take a long-term perspective and you diversify which those figures prove, you come out at the other end on top, and it's very easy at the moment for people to look and go, ah, it's a bad time. But you look at all those events that have happened. That's just since 57. You go, people have come out making significant profits. We couldn't get the figures to go back to 70 years from when the Queen got on the throne, unfortunately. We couldn't get accurate figures that we would have used. Right. So she well, she probably didn't start investing immediately, did she? She probably gave it a few years to get her feet on another table and then started putting a few quid in. <laughs> on one of the layaway schemes. I'm sure she'll, she'll be fine. Yes, I'm sure she'll be fine as well. And, and, and before we go, uh, you, you have you have your traditional final footballing thoughts, don't you? Well, yeah, I'm actually very, very happy. And as a Celtic fan, Andrew, I found myself yelling at the TV for Liverpool the other night because you guys winning means the Scottish Premier League winners guarantee themselves an automatic Champions League spot. With three games to go, six points ahead of Rangers, I can look forward to September, Celtic being drawn in a group with PSG, Real Madrid, and getting (laughs) absolutely thrashed by the cream of Europe. So what more can I look forward to? Exciting European nights. Well, happy happy to do you a favour. And and on that happy note, uh, that's the end of the podcast. So we're going to see you in June, when a Liverpool quadruple may well have raised the entire nation's spirits, especially the Queen's. Good to talk to you, Andy. And you, Andrew, as always. See you on the other side. Listeners, thanks for listening. Don't forget to follow It's Your Money on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever app or system you use to listen to podcasts. The next edition will then come to your phone seamlessly and automatically. We hope you found it useful. We'll see you next time. God save the Queen. God help the rest of us. 